Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, we are now live. I'm now talking so that everyone can hear me. Welcome to our panel, Work and Play Mental Health in Video Games. My name is Nigel, and we're going to bring to you a panel uh, discussion. First, actually, let me bring in my co-host. Hello, everyone. I'm Tazzy. I am a content creator and the uh, Gamepad co-host. So for anyone who is new this is our gamepad platform so gamepad is a social gaming event uh, that we have been running to promote inclusion and diversity in the video games industry as well as providing young people with work experience opportunities uh, as they make their way into careers into the industry so we started this some time ago and since about 2015 and then obviously we all know what happened last year. So everything that was offline is now online. Uh, and that's kind of what brought us here. So last year we've been doing gamepad online events. So live stream events, and we'll have more details about that as we go. We also launched a uh, membership, Studio 77, which gives exclusive access to gamepad events and content across the MyMatter universe, like this interview. It's going to be available as a VOD once the stream is finished and then uh, any members will be able to get access to that past the two weeks that's available on twitch okay that is enough about me for now let's talk to some of the other boxes that we've got here uh, so i'm first going to introduce or is this the bottom bottom left uh dr sachin shah a psychiatrist based in London and a member of Gaming the Mind, a UK-based mental health charity. Sachin, welcome. Uh, hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you said it all, uh, so I'm <laughs> excited to yeah, excited to talk about it. Cool. I took the words right out of your mouth. Uh, let's see if I can do that again. So we're going to hop over to the bottom right and introduce uh, Dr. Amiad Friedman, Clinical Advisory Board Member for Safe in, Safe in Our World, which is another uh, UK-based mental health charity in games as well, I should say. Hi, Amiad. Hey, hey, Nigel. Thank you so much for, for having me, for hosting this event. Tazzy, thank you so much for, for co-hosting here. I'm really excited for the conversation. Yeah, I mean, you're doing a pretty good job of, of these intros. Uh, I'm happy to tell you a little bit more about myself as we, as we keep going, but I'm happy to be here and represent Safe in Our World is just another great mental health charity in the UK and, and to talk about mental health in video games. All right. And then last but certainly not least in the top center is Ed Stern, lead narrative designer at Splash Damage, who is entering his 19th year in video game development. So he's going to give a lot from that perspective. Uh, Ed, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Cheers, Nigel. Cheers, Tazzy. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for asking me. Really looking forward to this. This is a thing I'd really want to watch anyway, and I feel like I've got one of the best seats in the house, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, you are there, like, nice and comfy in the middle. I feel like that's probably the best box to be in, maybe. It's nice and solid. <laughs> Um, so uh, before we get uh, into the discussion, uh, just say hello to everyone who is watching this live uh, in the chat or even watching this later. Thank you for joining us. And yeah, I hope you get something from this, whether you're just curious about the topic, about mental health and video games, or particularly someone who is in or has joined us from the Games Careers Week and maybe someone who is interested in entering the games industry uh, or supporting someone that is. So hopefully we'll be able to cover some uh, some of those uh, important bases. 
Uh, we'll be putting people's social media in the chat so you can follow them. And at the end, we'll round up where you can find more information about um, our panels. So you can give us your feedback in the chat. Uh, we also have a Discord uh, for Gamepad. You can uh, chat with us there after the event as well and send us feedback um, through email, uh, feedback at mymatter.com or as people do nowadays, uh, just shout us on social media. Um, we're at mymatter on Twitter, at mymattertees on Instagram and at Tazzy on both. Okay, we're now going to get into this uh, discussion. So the idea for this panel is to have an open discussion about a range of topics across, well, under the umbrella of mental health in video games. So we'll be looking at it from a perspective of playing games, but like I mentioned, also working in games. We're here for about an hour, so it's not going to be totally exhaustive. But as I mentioned, we're going to uh, shout out where uh, everyone's come from in terms of their organizations and where you can find more information. But if you do have a question along the way that we haven't touched on, uh, please let us know in the chat and we'll see if we can uh, get to as many as we can in the time we have. Uh, also, a uh, content warning, just a heads up that because we are talking about mental health, we may reference upsetting uh, related topics um, such as self-harm or depression, anxiety, uh, for which our panelists will give uh, warning if they're going to mention anything that might uh, upset anyone. The first thing that I wanted to touch on is just start with like the perception of the perception of gaming gamers and uh, the stereotype as well. So I wanted to start with uh, an anecdote because a couple years ago, I had a, um, uh, before I get into that, um, just to say that we have just, yeah, this idea of um, this perception of gamers and trying to separate, like destigmatize de and separate the, the facts from like the hyperbole that we often see, uh, particularly in the mainstream media. So I work with young people and I know that sometimes with young people who want to get in the industry, they kind of have the challenge of um, having to convince sort of uh, adults, parents, guardians, whoever, uh, that this is a worthwhile thing because of a lot of the negative things they've heard. So this anecdote I mentioned is um, I had a conversation uh, with someone who was, it was a conversation about uh, life insurance, so very boring topic, but I did mention what I do in terms of comics and video games. Uh, and this person who will remain nameless, partly because I've forgotten her name, but also just to uh, protect her. Uh, she said to me that something along the lines that aren't all gamers bums, and I, I specifically, she said that word bums, uh, essentially like, loners in the basement not contributing to society and at first I thought she was joking but the more we talked the more I was like she's actually serious she actually has this perception so this kind of goes to the stereotype of gamers as just isolated alone so that's where I wanted to start start with is um, Amiad this idea I guess where do you think it comes from but more importantly how do games help us connect and what's the importance of that connection, particularly as we are still in the midst of this pandemic, which has reduced other forms of social connection? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great point, And I'm glad you brought it up. Um, we're all familiar with this stereotype, right? Uh, the, the stereotype, the, the heaviness of that word gamer and what that brings forth when somebody hears it, particularly someone who doesn't really play games, right? And we know where this comes from. This comes from, you know, how video games and people who play games are depicted in the media um, and some of these stereotypes that have just sort of been passed down as 
sort of the the, the negative conversation around games has been portrayed um, in in you know in the media. So the the funny thing is is if you spend some time on the platform that we're using to host this event on Twitch, you'll see how untrue that is. You know, I, I am recently um, now out of medical school uh, in, in the in the wild, wild west of entrepreneurship as well. <laughs> and Welcome, I way. find, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I find that there almost are no, there, there's no more driven person than the entrepreneur. And the the gamer has so much in common with the entrepreneur, specifically the ones who do streaming on Twitch. It is brutal out there. And you have to be so driven and and someone who can accomplish goals and can set goals for themselves to do these things. So really that stereotype, I think, as we see platforms like Twitch kind of become front and center, it couldn't be more far from the truth. As far as what games mean to us and the importance of games, you mentioned connection. Uh, it's a really, really interesting topic, right? And when I was in working in the hospital as a medical student, and I saw all these different patients uh, in different rooms isolated from one another. As someone who played games and understood their power, I started to think, isn't there a way that we could connect them and connect them in play? And in 2020 and 2021, in the world of COVID-19 pandemic, that's what we've seen happening on a larger scale. Everyone is forced to be isolated, forced to be distanced, and video games are booming, and they're bringing us together in this way. They're bringing us together in multiplayer. We can connect with people who are far away. They're bringing us together in shared experiences. We can talk about the games that we're playing. We can engage in online communities like this one on Twitch. And they're bringing us together in that we can connect with the characters and the stories that we play. And, and actually, even, even if they're not real, we can identify with these characters' struggles. So in a time when we're all so far away, I think now we're really seeing the importance of the games themselves, but also the community around these games and what they can do for our connection and in turn what that does for our mental health. That's a really good point. I think that that word community as well is really kind of like shown to be the case. Um, like I said, when there is very limited other forms of connection, uh, you've seen the value that video games does bring. Along the similar lines, uh, as we're sort of dealing with perceptions and, and stereotypes, uh, is this idea of video games as uh, as an addiction. And sort of going back to my anecdote in this conversation with this person is that she's very adamant that sort of once you're uh, a gamer and you're playing games, that's kind of all you do, that's all you are and all the stereotypes that come with with that. So that's that's an opinion from someone who doesn't play games. I sort of made that assumption real quick. Um, but we also have seen things in, in the news from a more official standpoint. And uh, recently the WHO uh, declaring gaming disorder as a behavioral addiction. So that kind of gives some some weight to that, uh, that idea. So Sachin, I want to ask your opinion and what does that sort of determination mean, especially from such a sort of organization, a credible organization? Uh, what does that mean for the average gamer to have that uh, gaming disorder sort of uh, clarified? And, and what is the distinction between just playing a lot of games and being addicted uh, in, a, in a gaming sense? 
it is meaningful for the World Health Organization to recognize gaming disorder as a clinically valid thing. Now, I think as far as it goes for the mass majority of video gamers out there, it shouldn't come up as an issue. Most people play video games within moderation and keep good control of it. Even if, you know, like me, they play for hours and hours and hours, they get on with other stuff too. But it is useful for a very small minority of people who we have to acknowledge might have problems with controlling their gameplay. Just like you can have problems controlling other things in your life, such as controlling gambling or controlling uh, spending or controlling how much exercise you do. A lot of people get into these uh, ruts of not being able to control what they're doing to the detriment of other things in their life. And it's useful to have something that you can point to which says, okay, this is what's going on and I can go get help for it. Now, we're in the UK, uh, well, Amiad, you're, you're speaking uh, on behalf of America, but I'll mention that correctly, but we're in the UK. <laughs> and, that's, and that's great because, you know, this means that it being considered a disorder means that now there's a clinic opened up in London who will see people who are struggling with this kind of thing and, you know, get to the bottom of what's causing that. It might not necessarily be an addiction to games in itself. It might be that underlying that there's some social issue going on at home or it might be that you've got some other mental health issues that are causing you to use games as a coping mechanism but now there's a language there which tells you okay this is something that i might need to get help with speaking of america it gives you basically uh, an easier way to get healthcare in a place where insurance companies would not fund care for something that doesn't exist so the fact that it exists it gives you an avenue, although they have not really decided to fund it yet, but an avenue to get healthcare without resorting to going to, say, some cowboy addiction center, <laughs> which will take all your money and make you live with them and then send you out. Now, I don't want people to worry too much about it. That's the thing. Like The, what, the worrying thing is now that it's labeled a disorder, are all parents going to look at their kids playing too much? Or are you going to think about yourself playing too much and think, oh, they've got a, a disorder of some kind? Not really. Like even the uh, clinician who heads up the gaming disorder clinic in London says, no, if you play like all day, even play for 24 hours, that's not gaming disorder. When a Metal Gear Solid 4 came out, the fond memory I have of me and my brother playing all weekend, it's got to go on for a year. It's got to be out of your control. And it's got to be to the detriment of other things in your life, like school, work, relationships. And you were asking, what's the difference between playing too much and a gaming disorder? You can play loads. You can have a job as a streamer. You can have a job as a game reviewer or, a, or an esports uh, athlete. And that's all cool. You're in control. The differential, I think, is about control. When you lose right. control, that's when your life starts to slip away. Mm. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. And you make a good point as well about the idea that once you identify it, then there can be resources and, and efforts made to treat those who are in that who are generally in that category, like oftentimes, especially when it comes out in in certain spaces in sort of mainstream media, it's then immediately equated to a negative thing. But like, so if if you've got those resources, you can and you know what the problem is, then you can take steps to to address it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to 
kind of uh, covering this is is this idea of of gaming from an education uh, standpoint and as someone who works with young people uh, in fact on Thursday I'm going into a session uh, taking some consoles and games and and uh, to teach these kids about uh, sort of gaming careers um, you have this idea that so kids young people children they're engaged with games they play games and I think there's a massive potential to to tap into this for like a uh, for positive outcomes, particularly in the case of this session I'm doing on Thursday, career uh, career outcomes and identifying and just generally raising awareness um, for these uh, young people who are about ten, eleven that they can have these careers and there are there's you know there's a value in them. So I wanted to ask Ed because you've been in the gaming industry for for a long time. And I know we've sort of messaged before and you've spoken about your kind of journey with uh, things like uh, ADHD and general anxiety and, and depression. So how did that impact on you sort of as you were in education to now when you're in the games industry? I only found out I had ADHD in the last few months. So, you know, I really wish I'd had that diagnosis a lot earlier in my life. It would have made things a lot easier and a lot less stressful. But when I was in education and when I started in the industry, there just wasn't that awareness about mental health. I mean, there, there just wasn't I – th- I think a lot of things were sense, seen as being a kind of an American import. It's like, they get that, but we are made of different stuff. There was a definite lag, uh, particularly with ADHD, which we first heard about as a punchline in American TV shows. And then the next thing we heard about it was, oh, this is a, you know a kind of crisis of over medication. But there wasn't really a sense. You know, it's, I'm nearly fifty, and it's taken me that long to go. Oh, right. Oh, that's me. Oh, okay. But certainly, when I started in the industry and when I was in education, I, I, there was no sense, or certainly I didn't get a sense, that mental health, like physical health, was a thing that it was your responsibility to look after yourself, that you can and should get help with. That there is, you know, if for some reason, you know, like if you kind of cut yourself, if you fell off a, a, a bike and cut your leg, there'd be no shame in going to a doctor about that. But if your bra- if your liver isn't working so well, well, you know, maybe there are people a bit more squeamish about that. But there's definitely a taboo when your mind isn't working so well. That mm. just wasn't a thing. We just didn't have the vocabulary to deal with it, or we didn't know what that scene looked like. There weren't, there, you know, we didn't. That scene hadn't played out for us. We didn't have behavior to model so um yeah whether it was kind of for big things or just that sense that there's a stuff you could do yourself like you know that that like as with physical health there are good habits you can get into like irrespective of a specific condition or diagnosis it's kind of on you to look after yourself until you need to call in reinforcements and you're allowed to do so that was a huge step for me and hopefully it's a much smaller step for, for people now as to how that's affected me, I mean, I've definitely used games, I don't want to call it self-medicating, but I've used them to escape from stress. I mean, that's what they're for, right? They're fun. They're escapism. That's that's kind of their job. Yeah, until you get um, stuck, and then it's like uh, just... Well, uh, exactly, as, yeah. as, as in all things. Um, yeah. I, I personally, I don't think I've had any kind of general addiction issues with games, but I've definitely abused them. I've definitely... For instance, I've learned that the sports sim... Uh, football manager is oh. not a game I play a reasonable amount of. <laughs> I just I can't I can't do it. Do I have time for a little ad- a little story about that? Yes, yeah, go ahead. One of the saddest, funniest moments <laughs> of my life as a gamer is that I bought the new football manager and I started playing it. And I just fell back into all the bad habits. Of, I was playing it too much. I was playing it too late, I, and I wasn't really enjoying it. But I wasn't didn't want to stop. And I just felt like this is 
this is dumb. Come on, we, we know how this goes. And Steam, which are the platform I bought it on, they just introduced refunds. So I thought, oh, great, I'll, I'll get a refund. And when you apply for the refund, there's a little dialogue box that drops down. It says, well, you know, there's with a list of reasons why you want a refund. And the nearest thing I could get, you know, it wasn't a hardware issue, like my PC could play it, but the, the nearest thing I could get was, game was not what I expected. And I'm looking at my Steam list next to it with the previous dozen football <laughs> manager games going, oh, this one's a football management game. Yeah. No, this is what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it, like, it's everyone's job in life to work out, find their own balance between relaxation, you know, self-care and relaxation and exercise and activity. And games are really good for fighting stress and escapism until they're not. Mm. Uh, but I think one thing I mean, that's just undeniable, it's like games generally involve you sitting down indoors and that's not good for you that's not good for your physical or mental health uh unless you're playing zombies run which is an outdoor exercise run away from zombies jogging game which is awesome you should check that out so yeah i i I think everyone's kind of had to invent this thing on their own or certainly people of my generation it's a terrifying phrase we (laughs) sort of had to invent it ourselves before the internet and now it's a thing and it turns out, oh, right, there are these conditions. This is being studied. There are charities like the fine people on this panel who can actually you know, explain this stuff. And that is an option for people. I think there are now resources in terms of both advice and support that they just weren't around 10, 20 years ago. So please, everyone watching this, please do make use of it. It's out there mm. and it's your job to look after yourself. And uh, yeah. before we move on to the next uh, section, I just want to uh, shout out Physical Folk because I see... Uh, links there and resources um, to your point ed being shared so thanks for that i can i can relate i recently sort of um re-established in my brain that like mental health is a lot like physical health like it involves maintenance so yeah i mean yeah let's move on <laughs> I, don't know where I, I couldn't i couldn't help notice that you have a ring fit behind oh, yeah. you in your in your shelf which I played, I got it before, I guess, the pandemic, but it was a wonderful thing for me as someone who likes to exercise in theory, but hates <laughs> going to the gym. You know, I like to run outside, but it, but that only works in like, you know, two months of the year. Otherwise, the, the weather's not right. And that's a wonderful way to use a game to promote health and to promote physical health. Mm-hmm. I think, Ed, to your point, you know, we're now in a, in a position where we, we can take, we're more aware of, of mental health. We can take ownership of our own mental health, just like we do physical health. I, I love thinking about how can we take that model of ring fit that's doing this so well with physical health. How can we make a game that can allow us to take ownership of our mental health, that can allow us to exercise our mental health to become healthier in our, in our, in our mind, in our body, in our spirit and all those things. So, uh, I just I, I'm very excited for for the future and for game developers like Ed to be thinking of these things and 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 challenge the way we use games just like we now you know use them for our, our physical health as well. I also got the ring fit before the uh, pandemic hit, uh, mainly because I just like exercise and I like video games and I can't stick to one type of exercise, so I just need everything. Did it work? <laughs> Did ring fit work for you? Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I've not played that. Well, I've played a lot of it, but not like I don't play it like every day or anything. It's just like in addition to everything, like the days where I really don't feel like doing anything. It's the perfect thing because I'm yeah. actually like, well, I always feel like playing games. So <laughs> and it's such an adventure that it's like, yeah, I got to like 
level up and beat the boss and unlock things. Um, so definitely. Yeah, uh, throw me in as a fan of Ring Fit. I, I got it at the beginning of the pandemic and then kept it under my bed until <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> Uh, but then when I finally opened it, like, it's not something that makes you forget your exercise, exercising, like it definitely kicked my tush, <laughs> but it, you know, like you really want to finish what you're doing. So yeah. if you're, you know, that far into it and you're about to face Drago, you're like, okay, I, I can, I can see this through. And it mm-hmm. gives you that motivation. It reminds me of like, I used to jog with couch to 5k, which I'll pick up again now that the sun is out. And they give you advice, like, don't focus on how long you have left. Just look around you and stuff like that. And Ring Fit really gives you that kind of stimulation inside your own house. It's really cool. And it, game, and it gamifies it, just like an RPG. Like, you want to yeah. earn the next move and all that kind of stuff. Even down to, like, having, um, like, essentially what are potions, but they're smoothies. Like, excellent. Well, educate you, educating you about how to, like, eat healthy as well. I love the little tips you get. And, you know, after, like, about like 20 minutes or what it depends what hardness you've got set to like don't you think it's time to cool down now and encourages you to warm up and cool down yeah I, my, my I only criticism of that game is uh the ring um is very very enthusiastic sometimes to a fault <laughs> when he when he's constantly reminding me my that, that my sweat is so so be- shiny and beautiful <laughs> That's not what you want to hear at that point. I'm not no. feeling shiny or beautiful. That's right. That's right. No, I, I could go on and on about Ring Fit, but it's, yeah. like, it's so nice as well to you. It's never mean to you. And yeah. it's very encouraging and friendly. Even Drago, he's not a bad guy. He just really wants to work out and he's in your way. <laughs> I resent it. I really, it makes me really angry that I'm that dumb. Like, this is exercise. I find it really hard to do. Like, okay, let's do six knee benches. No, it hurts. I don't want to do that. <laughs> then ring fit. It's like, yeah, I'll do that. Like, it turns out I am that dumb. I'm just like, I did find that. I, I enjoy the game, but the realization, it's not the same taboo as seeking, as people get as seeking professional help. But I did feel a kind of humiliation of, wow, I am that dumb. Like, I'm a cat with a laser pointer. Like, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, like that easily hack as a kind of mind body entity that <laughs> gamifying that will make me do exercise i won't do any uh, uh, you know myself yeah i mean you mentioned zombies run as well didn't you which i've also used um that essentially does the same thing <laughs> so you know while we're on the subject of using uh, the ring fit during the pandemic let's talk a bit about gaming during the pandemic <laughs> Because uh, obviously 2020 was, it was a year. <laughs> I think we can all agree that it was a year. Very long one. Uh, and there's many stories that sort of came out in the last 12 plus months around uh, video games. And we're often warned about the dangers of too much screen time. We've already mentioned it. Um, and for young people in particular, the idea of playing games for hours uh, is rarely seen in a positive light. But when there's nowhere else to go, like, what else can you do? I think it was mentioned in chat as well earlier, like, you know, video games, there is, there is, is the thing. It's one of the very few things we can actually do indoors. And um, so let's look at how the perception of video games has changed during this time and what the real impacts video games have on mental health and our social ties. Um, so I'll put this out to Sachin and Amir. Is this a good or a bad thing that young people are playing more video games while stuck at home for like the past year? 
Uh, I'd say, you know, what you said about what else are kids supposed to do hits on something I've been saying since before the pandemic. Because people keep on getting concerned about how long kids are on screens and things. But parents are working full-time jobs and often more than one job. We are in an age of austerity where youth services have been cut back, council services have been cut back, and educational services have been cut back, including after-school clubs. And there's often just not anywhere to go, not any green space to go to. And parents don't have the money to do that either. And so it's a very privileged sort of opinion to have that, oh, you should be, you know, uh, recreationing your kids more when it's, you know, not available to everyone. And so video games being as accessible as they are, including on your phone, being as affordable as they are, and giving kids the same sort of connection, achievement, um, and relatability to other people, is no wonder that they play these sort of games. And so I think the pandemic has just accelerated the social conditions that we've already been under for so many years of austerity. And now everyone's feeling it. And yeah, of course, the kids are going to cope with video games. I think it really is a thing of like raising a moral panic about something when the issues are far deeper in our society. Mm. And I just want to touch on what you said about that being such a a luxury to have that thought and and a sort of like point of privilege. Um, Because you mentioned, you know, parents having to have uh, multiple jobs. I remember when I was a kid, we would play outside We'd play a bit, we'd do a bit of, we don't have a, a really good balance. We was lucky, but we also lived on a block where there would always be a couple of adults that could keep an eye on us. But now that's not, that's less of the case because more and more parents are having to take up multiple jobs. So the adults that would have been about to watch, you know, over a few kids playing outside, not there. And video games obviously has its risks involved as well, but way easier for a parent that might be working from home or working multiple jobs to oversee that and have them, at least they're inside. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, so um, a quick note just about screen time. So I'm, I'm a little rusty on my exact cutoffs, but you know, for in, in pediatrics, you know, until a certain point, we actually say an hour of screen time a day. Uh, at a certain point, that, that gets bumped up to two hours a day. What I always thought was one of my funny tidbits that I took away um, from my time in pediatrics is that doesn't include FaceTime, which I always thought was, was sort of interesting. Basically, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics has seen, you know, FaceTime, there's a lot of positives that come with that, um, being able to, you know, connect with grandparents who live far away, cousins, brothers, sisters, whatever it is. That's not what we're talking about. That's, that's a different area of communication. So what that, you know, and, and certainly screen time, there can be playing, you know, having your screen, your blue light too close to when you fall asleep and make falling asleep uh, more difficult, which especially for teens can be very, very troublesome and very um, challenging when, you know, they're always on their smartphones and things like that. Um, so these cutoffs, you know, work to to reduce those negative effects. Other than that, though, we're sort of at this arbitrary cutoff point where we say one hour. There hasn't really been any strong studies that have been able to definitively point to saying, yes, this much screen time is detrimental and this much is okay. And again, we, we say FaceTime is okay. So what that shows me is that 
there are certain there are certain experiences and practices that we are okay with, like communication. And if you can get that in a digital way, then that's all right. Then comes the pandemic. And the whole world needs to pay attention to this line of thought because now it's Zoom school, right? Work from home. Everyone's getting way more than one hour of screen time a day. That's the only way to learn. That's the only way to attend education. But again, we are, we've matured in the way we think about it. This is okay because of what we're using the screen for. So I think this is the way we need to think about it across all different facets. What are we using the screen for? And in terms of for video games, there's absolutely the value of escapism. And I talked earlier um, in the panel about you know, patients in the hospital. Can we connect them using video games, give them something more exciting to do? Can we stick a virtual reality headset on them and transport them somewhere more exciting than their four walls of the hospital, their four white walls of the hospital? That is very valuable to, you know, that, that, that's not a leap that people need to take to see the value in something like that. But in the pandemic, can we, t- can we take that as the greater population for everyone? What is the value of escapism? So I think that's very clear. That's become more clear. But taking it one step further, again, FaceTime, we get the social communication. Zoom school, we get the education. What, other than the escapism, what can we get from the video games? What can we actually analyze what can we take out what are the skills what is the transference that's bringing into the real world whether that's a story with an emotional connection that you're making to a character you're building your own emotional intelligence whether that is communication whether that is inventory management and you're actually learning skills you're learning about physics by by playing mario what are actually these tangible lessons or skills that we're taking out of the game um, so I think going forward, when we talk about screen time, that's how it'll be for now on is it's not necessarily this much screen time good, this much screen time bad. It's what are you using your screen time for? I've definitely learned a lot from video games. <laughs> I recently moved. I bring this up all the time and I'm sorry, but I've moved a lot in my lifetime and I'm very, very good at packing. Uh, and I'm going to give credit to to video games <laughs> for for that skill. But Sachin, you looked like you you had an, something. Yeah, to add. I just want to throw a British slant onto uh, Amiad's excellent point about the evidence on screen time, which is that in the UK we don't have any uh, guidelines on screen time, except that it shouldn't be interfering with your sleep. So uh, children are advised not to play video games before sleep, but you know, as to your point that evidence is not great, uh, because of that, uh, our chief medical officer and Royal College of Child Health have come to the conclusion that there's not enough evidence to justify any particular cutoff for screen time as yet. Can I just say, I was I was really worried when you said an hour, and then I remembered you said uh, pediatric, because I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm, I'm so far beyond that, and I'm, <laughs> I should be worried. I, I want to point out that, like, when I was a teen... I was like, I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to play video games before bed or anything. It was in the living room. I could not sleep regardless. <laughs> no matter if there were screens or not. <laughs> sleep schedule, strictly like I was, too, I mean, I'm not much dissimilar now, but you know, it wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a screen, a book, me in a room by myself. I'm not getting to sleep before 2am as a teenager. 
<laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely a difference. Now I have two kids upstairs. Hopefully you don't hear them running around too much. But uh, yeah, before it, right, it seemed like if you're going asleep before midnight, it's a wasted day. Now 8 p.m. kids are asleep. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, turn off the screens. I'm going to sleep. Um, yeah. So what capacity do video games have to help um, combat the emotional toll that months of isolation have had to us? I'm going to put this forward to Amiad. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we, we've talked about a couple of the key points already, right? Um, and that's connection and escapism, right? Again, escapism has this negative, you know, connotation to it, but it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, anytime you read, op- uh, you know, open a book, open a magazine, to do something for yourself in a way you're escaping. And especially in the times of COVID-19, who doesn't, right, I always say this about Animal Crossing, who doesn't want to go to just a beautiful island where nothing goes wrong? Even though I, before the panel started, a couple of you guys who play Animal Crossing were saying how Animal Crossing totally stresses you out. And that's not, not what you want from it. But for everyone who that's not the case for, um, or I don't know, I don't play Animal Crossing. But that there's something to escaping to another world. And again, as long as that's not interfering with, with other aspects of your life where it becomes problematic, that's not something that we should shy away from. That's something that we should uh, encourage because you are being creative. You are forming relationships, even if it's not with real people, even if it is with these designed characters, you're, you form these parasocial relationships. There was a study that came out, um, think about you know, maybe when when Game of Thrones was uh, ending and it looked at the the emotional reactions to Jon Snow. And I, I won't give any spoilers, but something that happened with Jon Snow. OK. And what they found actually is that the reactions that people had to this big event with Jon Snow was very similar to the type of emotional reactions they would have to a real life person, to a friend or even a family member. And this is because this is someone that Every week for the past, you know, however many years, however many seasons, it's good eight years, you know, so. you, you get to know, right, exactly. And it's the same thing with video games that you are, and mm-hmm. I would even argue even more with video games, because you are connected to these characters in a much more one-to-one way where they actually become a part of you because you are playing as them. So these are things that are positives from, from escapism, from video games. In Animal Crossing, it's all about goal setting and all about achieving your goals and trying to collect everything that you need to. That is something that, again, fills someone up with feelings of success and pride and momentum. And again, these are things that are really useful to the human psyche, to, the, to your mental health. So I think uh, there's, there's a large capacity for video games to provide a, 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 positive, a positive effect in, in this time that's been so daunting for all of us. Animal Crossing actually helped me come up with some business plans. So, because <laughs> I had to, like, I was there having to make money to pay Nook back. And, like, so my brain was just in, like, how do I make money mode? Yeah. And then, like, just it's like real life, just was like clicking. clicking. You need a Tom Nook business guide. I don't think it'll be a good business guide because I don't trust, I don't quite trust him. I don't trust him. Yeah. He's obviously making, <laughs> making a lot of money. There, there were literally people charging to come to your island to clean up the weeds. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. There is there is a lot we can um and take take from that. And this is like opened up for everyone. How would your relationship with gaming change during the pandemic, if at all? 
And do you think the conversation around gaming has changed? Well, for me, it's pretty much stopped my gaming entirely because I'm spending all day looking at screens at exactly the same distance. The last thing I want to do is look at another one, which is a problem for me professionally because I kind of have to play games to know what's <laughs> going on. But it's really raised the bar for me in terms of like it's not relaxing <laughs> to look at a screen. So, mm. um, but in, it. I think what's really changed is not so much attitude towards gaming. What I hope is attitude towards mental health. I think for a lot of people, mental health was something that happened to other people. That was something, you know, and they kind of knew it was bad, but it's like, oh, low blood sugar. If you don't, hey, like, yeah, oh, that sounds bad, but it, it's only if you've had it that you really know what it is. I think when people talk about stress and mental health now, loads more people have a sense of what that means. Even if it's a very mild version of it, even if it's just this is hard. Like, even if it's really comfortable, even if you're physically really comfortable and you've got all sorts of advantages and privileges, this has been a really hard year. And realizing, and you start thinking about people who are a bit less lucky than you, maybe don't have the physical advantages or the, you know, as pleasant an environment to be in. And I think there's just that bit, that there are some more opportunities for sympathy or empathy of, oh, wow, it's this hard for people all the time, whether there's a pandemic or not. I'm hoping it changes attitudes very slightly about isolation, loneliness, stress, about checking in on people, about realizing just that thing of like everyone swore, oh yeah, well we know we'll, we'll do loads of Zoom calls and stuff. Did you check on in all your friends you wanted to, or did you feel kind of depressed? Like, is that going to be someone's first example of, oh, that's why people with depression don't always get a lot done? Like that could be their first taste of it. I'm hoping there'll be a bit more. Maybe not compassion is too strong a thing, but it will just seem a bit less alien and other a concept for more people. I totally get that. I feel that's one of my kind of big things from this from this year is that idea of of empathy because it's a it's a I mean it's an unprecedented unique situation. But in terms of something that's happened that like you can go anywhere in the world, well when we can go anywhere in the world uh, and say like the pandemic people know what you're talking about. Like everyone has gone through this, so I totally get what you're saying about the idea that. If you are someone that might have thought that's something that, that happens to someone else, this idea of, of mental health or struggling with mental health, it happened to you. <laughs> and I feel like I'm sort of in that category. Not that I would necessarily dismiss mental health as an issue, but I think it was mentioned, uh, Sachin, you mentioned earlier yeah. on about uh, this, the, the language for it. And I think I was certainly someone who didn't have the language for it been forced to get a dictionary this uh, year and, and, and figure that try and figure it out so I think that idea of that empathy of everyone being in the same situation but anything I, I like about video games one of the many things is that because you you play a story and we're talking about like games as a story and, and you being sort of a narrative designer is that you're playing someone else's story and is that inbuilt empathy I guess that that yeah, I guess, yeah, that inbuilt empathy in, in your playing someone else's story, that chance to see from someone else's perspective. You know, my I, idealized uh, world post-pandemic is that idea that, oh, video games can allow us uh, a chance to view things from someone else's perspective and actually take that as a credible view, like uh, experience in, in life because of what's happened with the pandemic and having to uh, validate like other people's experiences. That's just fiction. Like, you know, to, books, yeah. movies and TV, like, if they weren't yeah. already doing that, would, would an interactive experience... Like, I think the, the only thing I'd say with, like, video games is is because you have that, like, agency as the character, you have to play 
whatever actions have been taken, you have to mm-hmm. uh, sort of set those in motion. I guess that's the difference I, I would see versus uh, other other fiction. Yeah, I would like highlight that that um, the difference in agency. Um, I'm someone that can watch horror films but cannot to play horror games <laughs> because it goes from watching someone do the stupid stuff to being the person that is doing the stupid <laughs> stuff. Like the video, <laughs> the video game forces you to go down the dark corridor when you're like, well, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> Why would you do that? But when you're watching a movie, you're sitting there like, huh, you're silly. Uh, you're probably going to get murdered now. <laughs> And the video game makes you do this really uncomfortable thing that you don't want to. And similar thing in something like The Last of Us, it forces you to make a decision that you wouldn't ordinarily make or it feels like you're making that decision, but it's not you. It's that character. You are no longer yourself. You are them. (laughs) And you must play like them. And it also, like, some people use that opportunity to be, like, a really bad person, where in real life, they're not. They might be the nicest people, but, you know, in video games, I suppose the other equivalent would be um, tabletop games like D&D that give you that opportunity to be not you. Whereas like reading a book or watching a film or a show, is quite passive, right? You're following along. You're more of a fly on the wall. Uh, Sachin, did you have your answer ready? Yeah, I mean, just to tag on to what you were saying is that Last of Us Part 2 is exactly what I was thinking about when you were saying... Sometimes games make you do what you don't want to do. The entire final stretch of that game, I was like, I don't want to do any of this. Why am I doing this? <laughs> making me do some horrible, horrible stuff. But also, you know, being able to explore different characters is something I've seen a lot more in terms of people writing about how it helped them with identity exploration and identity formation, especially like tabletop RPGs, uh, but also games which let you choose the type of person you are, is that say you're trans and you're not in a community that's very accepting and that can be a good way to sort of feel out you know in a video game or in a game you know what it is to take a different identity for example and you know, try on different identities and see what feels right uh, it's also sort of like play testing different things now how my gaming uh, has changed during the pand- pandemic i was uh, made by the nhs to stay in a hotel at the beginning of the pandemic, because the rest of my house were isolating so that they could keep me working. So I was in a different area. Everything was closed. People were really observing the, the lockdown at that time. You know, the streets were empty. <laughs> so it felt dead. And all I had was my Switch with me, and it really helped me to have Animal Crossing. It truly is the game of the pandemic. It gave me something to do every day. It made me relate to my friends. We kept up with the stork market, and I felt like I was achieving stuff with building up my island. I also got into a Picross or Nonogram game on my phone just for like idling away stressful moments. But again, I have to be careful. I don't, you know, uh, like uh, Ed with um, uh, Football Manager, not get too uh, bogged down in it. And then just in terms of related, uh, you know, uh, having um, people around me, I'm quite an introvert. I don't go out. I don't really meet people. But this pandemic has really got on top of me anyway. Uh, like it turns out that you do need to see people and, you know, to some degree. So I resubbed to Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, not that like I play with people on Final Fantasy XIV or anything, but it was just fun hanging around Limsa Laminsa and just see people running around, you know, to have that feeling of people being around. And just a few days ago on Saturday, I bought Monster Hunter Rise 
and me and two of my friends uh, started a WhatsApp group and we just update each other on what we're doing and we'll be playing multiplayer soon. So, you know, just keeping in contact with people has really helped me. I can relate with, uh, you know, just being on Final Fantasy just so that you can see people running around. <laughs> VR chat. I I don't even have VR. I just jump on it on uh, desktop. But like the proximity uh, like that you get with it, it's just like, it was really like, oh, I feel like I'm in a bar. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> there's just a comment that in chat that i wanted to pick up on that we were when we were talking about the agency of games and it was yes games have more agency and can reprogram your neural pathways which makes them helpful or dangerous depending which i thought was just a really interesting comment Um, anything can reprogram your neural pathway me being on this chat right now mm -hmm. is reprogramming my neural pathways your brain is plastic it just it just changes no matter what you do yeah Definitely. So um, we'll answer some of the questions that everyone has been posting in the chat uh, a bit later on. But Amir, your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, listening to what the panel has to say, I could honestly just say just say ditto. Right. I mean, every rather than repeat it, um, I think I felt, you know, maybe my example is different, but very, very similar. I think. I'll I'll turn the question a little bit and not talk about my own personal experience and just talk about how the how video games have changed now since all of this. And uh, I think it, it relates to what I do every day, which is dealing with digital health and digital health technologies. And the pandemic has boomed digital health five years into the future. And and that's not showing any signs of slowing down, right? So that's really any app that you know, has to do with your, that you use on your phone that has to do with your health, whether it be exercise, mental health, um, something more clinical. And with that, the conversation have games, of games has, has gone right along. And, and the experts are looking at how can games be used to do what they do so well, which is to keep people playing and to engage a player or a user or a patient, right? And, 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 put that into the digital health world to get people engaging with their health more and more. We talked about Ring Fit a little bit. I think that's a great example. Now you have, you know, new FDA pathways specifically for games as treatments. I I saw, I think, physical folk, I think even put it in the chat before that there's now out a game for the treatment of ADHD in children that is now a a alternative to the pharmacological options that we have like Ritalin or Adderall. These are things that are continue to being uh, worked on. And now, you know, with the help of the um, the push in the pandemic that are becoming more and more popular and, and you'll see will become uh, more projects, more games dealing with health will see the light of day. So I think that's really exciting uh, in, a, in a way that the, the industry's changed a bit. Yeah, I done my, um, I recently went through um some therapy and that was all like online for an online program mostly self-driven and there were like aspects of like gamification in that you know like check boxes daily activities and like that sense of achievement yeah which was like perfect for me absolutely well the, um, excellent, the excellent thing about that and you know you're really doing the future there Amir, is that you know once we start doing therapy on our you know on our own if once we get a game that's good enough to do that, it's going to be cheaper than hiring mm. therapists and it will make it more available to more people. And especially again, you know, uh, well, in the UK, we've got way, you know, 
horrendous waiting lists. If you're on a waiting list for therapy, you can be waiting for a year or more. And in America, it costs so much. And so you could really break down the barriers to therapy if we learn to gamify it in a way that's as effective as face-to-face. Even just, yeah, definitely. Because I have to wait a long time. (laughs) I have to apply multiple times and uh, really like push that like no i'm really suffering here i need something i need help um <laughs> and that i mean that's really uh what it comes down to right is empowering people to we've talked about it a, a couple times now but empowering people to take ownership of their physical or mental health and you know rather than thinking about it uh about replacing sort of that that you know person to person uh relationship i mean you're right Sachin, that there are those problems with the cost or the wait times, but how can we empower the individual to have these tools that they can use on their own so that when they do get off that wait list, you know, we've already done some of the progress and we can continue to interact with our provider in a, in a digital way, you know, so we can have more interaction than we would have normally. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move on to talk a bit about uh, mental health and making games. Because we often talk about it in the context of playing games, but, you know, there are also aspects in making the games, um, both in terms of people making them and the depiction of mental health topics in the games that we play. Um, So particularly for those who are watching, who aspire to work in the video games industry, it's important to look at mental health in the workplace and how to take care of yourself during the development process. Um, so, Ed, can you explain your role in the video game development process and how you balance out what can be a stressful job with managing your mental health? I can do the first bit probably more easily than the second bit. Um, so I, I am a narrative designer and I, I work in what's called the AAA sector, which means the more kind of con- what people think of as games often, more conventional studio system, uh, often action shooter games, high production values, detailed graphics and, and, and so on. I'm a narrative designer, so I help define the story, but also the setting of the game, the world building. I help the concept artists and environment artists and character artists and animators and gameplay designers define the look and feel of the player experience. And just, I mean, you know, the first thing is, like, does it hang together? Does it make any sense at all? And then maybe, you know, it actually has a story to tell and there's some moments of insight or revelation or connection of kind of emotional connection, hopefully. So sometimes that's working with, you know, through character design or it's creating cinematics, you know, uh, little cutscenes or voiceover that gets played or uh, uh, audio box, law codex entries that are just text or audio logs or, or, or things like that. I think the, the first thing about the games industry is it's young. It, like Games as a medium have not been around very long and games as an industry haven't been around very long. And nobody really knows how to make them. It's a very insecure high pressure high stress industry there are some industries that have been around a long time they know how long it takes to make a thing we are still finding that out because we're constantly reinventing the technology so certainly at my end of the industry burnout is very much a thing <laughs> here i am on a panel with two medics and i'm t- telling them <laughs> about professional pressure yeah burnout in the industry is just i mean it's kind of a cliche but it's it's a real problem you work too hard for too long and you use up all your passion and it's just not sustainable I mean, the, the last industry survey i saw the average industry career was about three and a half years. 
three as a career, not just like one job, the whole time in the industry. That's how good we as an industry are at just burning through new talent and using people up. Now, this has become much more of an issue and there's much more of a focus on zero crunch or getting rid of crunch culture, as it's called. You know, maybe you'll do some overtime, but you're not going to do weeks and months of it because it's just not sustainable. You can't do that. You have to set a pace you can sustain. And a lot of that is down to setting an example. It's down to senior developers and management, like visibly leaving the office in the evening (laughs) and just not getting... It's weird. There's just this this weird culture about game development i don't really know where it came from where it's like oh it's gonna be really cool i crunched all weekend and i slept under the desk it's like no no stop why why not do this for a living why not do this as a job as a grown-up as a grown person you know that's it's a weird kind of cult lifestyle cult around it and i don't know if i ever really paid into it but even then i found it really hard to resist that temptation early on in my career not to just stay like, because there's always something else you can do, or, hey, there's a really powerful PC at work, and they've got a really fast internet connection. I don't really have anything going on in my life right now, so I might as well be here. Nobody made me say, stop it. You turn that machine off, go home, do something else. Go do something physical. You you, you are trying to live, you're trying to have an, a diet made up of bubblegum. That is not a sustainable diet to live off. You need a mixture of experiences and times. Like, if all of your life is lived in front of a computer screen, unless you have to. I mean, you know, assuming you're able-bodied and you're able to do, you know, you have the economic wherewithal to do other things. By the way, just saying, the whole thing about lockdown, just shout out to everyone who wasn't able-bodied, who was trying to work remotely and was told it wasn't possible. Hmm. Hmm. It turns <laughs> out that was bullshit. Oh, that was nonsense all along. And in fact, people could have been doing that. And, you know, all for people who, for mm-hmm. lockdown ends, and they can move around, for a lot of people, lockdown doesn't end because that's, that's where they are physically stuck in life. That goes back to, I hope, those moments of empathy of, oh, right, if you're physically handicapped or have a chronic medical condition, your whole life is like this. You've, you're already a master in how, to man, in, in how to handle lockdown. So in terms of managing mental health, oh, Lord, I, I, I do a talk about getting into the games industry called Game Dev 101, and somebody asked me to do it again. I was looking through it, and it was just this whole list of bits of advice I had not been taking myself. I was happy preaching to other people about it but i wasn't taking regular breaks it was cold it was winter i wasn't walking around the block i just stayed there it was you know and it really adds up and the amount of self-parenting you need to do because other people won't make you do it i really resisted that i find it really tough i've got to make myself be i've I've got to yeah even if i don't feel like it i have to kind kind of blackmail myself into it just like, okay, I know you don't really want to go for a walk, but you have to. You just do. You've got to, like self-parenting, self-care. Yeah, a lot of it is just it's very easy to sit there, and that is bad for you. I mean, you know, the latest buzz phrase, like, sitting is the new smoking. Like, okay, get a standing desk. Well, that's not that much better. You're still, you know, it's basically a, it's a, a fundamentally unhealthy way to spend a day. I mean, one thing I've started doing is unless absolutely everyone has to be on camera, we just do our meetings on the phone and I make people walk around the room. Just stop. No, you've been sat there too long. Let's just do this audio only and go for a walk. and Let's see if the connection holds. <laughs> um, it's really hard. It's really hard not in lockdown. And in lockdown, it's got a lot harder. So I think, you know, better weather really helps. That's nice. I cannot <laughs> wait to go back to an office. I really can't. But honestly, it is a ch- it's really just high lighted all the issues we already had as an industry in terms of 
we're very good at attracting talent. We're not very good at keeping it. And we're not very good at developing it or promoting it. We need to do a better job. We need to do a better job of explaining what it is we do and how stuff gets made. We need to do a, so people just have more realistic expectations of, of, of what's involved. But also we just need to set better examples. We need to just make it clear that we as an industry, even though we are sort of competing with different studios competing with one another we're collaborating a lot like we've got a bigger stake in society and the industry and the medium that we work in that it isn't just a place that burns through junior talent that's just not the people we want to be and just because we didn't have that example growing up that's not a reason to kind of when you get a bit more senior to pull up the ladder behind you as well you know i had to go through it they did no that's nonsense you've got to leave the place better than you found it I'm just gonna, I just need to like take that in for a second. <laughs> like, <laughs> well said, well said. Um, definitely, like uh, things don't. I really, I, I mean, you see that in a lot of industries. That attitude is like, I have to go through it, so so you must too. And what a really like toxic way to think. Well, <laughs> I think the problem is it's very hard to make the distinction. Like my least favorite word in the games industry is passion. Like, oh yeah, you've got to show you've got passion. It's like, well. No, don't have passion. Have a plan. You know, don't be, don't have dreams. Have a plan and goals. You know, it's it's getting it from that being that kind of oh, what's the word? Inspirational kind of like oh, I, I want to do this thing and I'm just going to try really hard. No, how about you just kind of educate yourself or get training or you know like this is a job. This is a job for grown ups. This isn't a thing like you know you, you've got to have some degree of enthusiasm. You've got to want to do the job, but it's work. And I think as a culture. We're so kind of dedicated to youth and and also people are so happy to be consumers and fans. We kind of don't really respect those things of professionalism, of, you know, someone's been mm-hmm. in the industry for 30 years. Oh, well, they're too lazy to leave. No, no, they've worked out how to do it. They've forgotten more than you may learn. That's right. That's not trying to big myself up. But, you know, like, like that's a thing where like when you become, if you train in medicine or the law or any other vocation, you know, it's like, I want to be like that person. Like, you know, I might not get their exact career, but there is a sense of here's what the job entails and here's how to do it. But it's just lacking in a lot of media industries, in particular in games. There's, I don't think there's that example of, do you hear about that, girl, that, that, that woman? She took two years out of the industry. She went on sabbatical. That's how much she cared about her career. She stopped doing the job to carry doing, so she could carry on doing the career. Like, we don't have those examples, don't come to mind as easily. And it's really easy when you join to just think, well, if I do, I'm just going to stay. No one, what can I do? I can stay later than everybody else. I may not have the experience that everyone else has got or the skills. I can definitely stay later. That is not a long term plan. And we as an industry have got to make it clear that we are in it for the long term and we want our staff to be in it for the long term as well. And that means looking after them better and individuals looking after themselves better. Well, yeah, I'm just digesting that. I need to yeah. go then. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sachin, we're seeing more games tackle mental health problems. What does that say about our relationship with mental health issues as an industry? And do you have some examples? I'm so glad you asked me a different question rather than ask me to follow up on <laughs> Um, but basically uh, games are being seen more as an art form although I think they always were that dealing with lots of uh, different subjects so it's not just that they're tackling mental health more but they're tackling social issues more in general now mental health why are we discussing mental health more it's because we're destigmatizing it it's because of what you've all been saying and you know what Ed's been saying about you know 
how ADHD was uh, once seen as an, a, a jokey American import until we started taking it seriously as a thing. And there's been a lot of public education about how I don't necessarily buy all these cute phrases, but like how we all have mental health, how there's one in four of us who have mental health issues in our lifetime, things like that, which just shows that mental health is very important. The more people are speaking out, the more you realize, okay, there's people I know in my life who are affected by this. It's not bad to sort of mention this, not bad to acknowledge it. We're allowed to be vulnerable, that kind of thing. And so you'll see that it's just more acceptable for games to approach it. The other thing that's changing is that this might be, you know, where the people watching this stream come in is that, you know, gaming development has been democratized so much, you know, it used to be that you have to be in with a big publisher to get your game out there. And now you can get your game up on itch.io on steam. uh, And you can have that, with smaller development teams or even individuals who will then have more freedom to tackle the topics that they want to talk about that's important to them personally rather than, say, aiming for the sales that a big publisher is requiring. Although big publishers are also tackling these issues these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I feel like as I agree with you on the fact that, you know, games have always been this medium that tells stories and you know any platform that tells stories can can be an art right so we're gonna head over to some some questions now we do have quite a few um to get through before we round up we any of the questions that we don't answer uh we might we'll put some answers in on Discord, I believe. There's something we can do. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go down some of these questions that have been put in. Um from Bunny W Triceps. If being online is being normalized now, do you reckon that it will shift be shifted back to a much less online existence or are we maintaining our online interest? And if so, what will that mean for the future of gaming? Anyone can feel free to. Can I just give like a 10 second answer and then I will make way to answer the last one. I think a great anecdote I saw was that when phones came in, we were all about phones. We were calling people from across town because it was such a novelty. And look at where we are now. We don't really call people. And (laughs) just as like Ed was saying, you know, we were all about video chat and it turns out we're not really digging video chat and let's just go back to voice. And so these novelties come and go. We may move backwards a bit, actually. Um, There's a great passage in Infinite Jest, which uh, talks, you know, predicted the future of video chat but also predicted that people don't want to be sitting in front of their cameras and they invented loads of dioramas and stuff to take their place which is you know what we're doing with vtubers and stuff like that where it's like okay i don't have to be on all the time so yeah i i I think you know we're having a spike of online activity but it may modulate to how we want to live our lives i like that answer (laughs) <laughs> yeah the tazzy uh, stamp of approval on that answer and does anyone else have anything to add yeah i mean i i think um i, I think I, I agree with with what you said um as far as how that will affect video games i think 
that it'll be a similar thing, right? I mean, we have we've we've welcomed many more gamers into our community over the past year. Um, the industry's grown, and with that, the community of people who play games. Um, likewise, my my you know me myself, I am a a, a someone new to Twitch. Now I do streaming on Twitch and I have my own content channel now, but I also now dive into other online communities and making, you know, other online friends and things like that, things that I haven't really engaged in with before. So I think those things, those types of relationships, um, those, those, those new gamers, right. Those will be maintained um, to some extent, maybe, you know, maybe there'll be some fall off, but I think even if, if we're not keeping at that, that high, uh, the trajectory will continue to move in the way that it's always um, moved. But I don't know, Ed, you may have uh, a deeper insight into that being in the industry. I, I feel very disloyal, but I really want to be in an audience. I really want to be <laughs> safely with a bunch of other people at a gig or a show or a cinema and just... I miss movies so much. Mm. That thing, like, I, you know, I know it's different. Like, you know, it, so everyone claps at the end. Or everyone laughs at the same time. That is great. But even if it's not that vocal, you're just there is a shared experience there and it's a defining thing and, and like you know there are terrible cinemas a lot of cinemas <laughs> like an advert for dvds and dvds is like an advert for ripping stuff illegally <laughs> Just, what you're gonna make me watch the piracy thing if i rip this i wouldn't have to watch the <laughs> but the thing you cannot replace at all like you know clearly some people have got more online than they were before but the thing we turns out we could not do without was each other the, the friends we made along the way but that, but but seriously just like the thought of, i don't really like pubs the idea of being safely in a pub now is so thrilling to me mm-hmm. so the idea of being at a gig just doing that like that that kind of literal social kind of in the same place non-virtual offline in the real world it's going to take a while before that stops being fresh and new to me and then, you know, having paid too much for a gig with the sound was terrible, then I'll go back to go, oh, this is ridiculous. I can play games with my friends. Let's do that instead. Yeah. I'm going to give, give up just my little little answer. I don't know if, Nigel, you also have an answer for it. But I just think it, it I think it, ha- it will have just made it a bit more normal. Like now when people ask me like, oh, what do you do? And I go, oh, I stream on Twitch. More people will be like, oh, I know what that is. Like, what? And if I talk about games, it'll be less of this like, whoa, games, this weird thing that, you know, only young boys play. (laughs) How do you play games? It'll be like, oh, yeah, like Animal Crossing or or there'll just be more, more to it. Because already seeing that from people that normally would be like, whoa. And it's just like people more comfortable having that conversation and recognize that it's just, oh, no, it's just a thing that people do, you know, like everything. <laughs> There's no exclusivity to it. It's just another tool that was, you know, invented by humans for humans. <laughs> yeah, a, gr- a great comparison is online dating that, you know, it used to be very strange to tell somebody that you met your partner through a dating website or something. And now it's just totally normal. Like, that's how people do meet. Yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah no Um, i I just agree with yeah what people say i do think the like the pandemic has accelerated a lot of things that might have been trending towards a particular place and i think the sort of acceptance of of gaming is is one of them so i think for in terms of like the future of gaming i just think it's just more accepted because people have that you know like we talked about everyone's in that same experience so people understand that oh if you don't play games more you know someone 
who is. So yeah, I just see it sort of accept, accelerating the acceptance of, of gaming as a medium and hopefully as a uh, career option as well. Mm-hmm. So the next question is from Naxi Blue. Do you think VR immersion is good for mental health, especially in horror and scary games? We haven't really touched much on horror and scary games uh, and mental health, have we? <laughs> Ooh, that, that's very interesting. I, I haven't seen any studies specifically looking at the horror and scary angle, but now I feel like maybe I want to run out and start one because I'm curious. <laughs> as far as VR and mental health, I would say on one hand, there is a base sort of VR effect. The effect of what happens when you put someone in an enclosed environment that is designed to be immersive. We know from multiple studies that have been been done that an immersive experience in VR is is better or more immersive than a not immersive VR uh, experience, experience where you're just walking around nature or it's a two-dimensional screen or something like that. Okay, great. So now we know that. Now what can we do with that information? And that's when you start to see developers or researchers or entrepreneurs or clinicians or whatever it is making these technologies that utilize this power of VR, this power of immersion to deliver uh, pro-mental health or pro-health activities. So when you're looking at just a um, a game that maybe wasn't developed for this purpose, but it is sort of an immersive, maybe beautiful environment, a world that you get to walk around. There is this base VR effect, but um, it 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 only grows on top of that when there's intention built in the game on top of that. Um, as far as horror and and you know, I guess we could say if games are scary on their own, when you're in virtual reality, they're probably a lot more scarier and they're probably making your heart rate. I know when I played Resident Evil 7 on VR, I made it maybe an hour and a half in that game. It was me by myself in my apartment in Washington, D.C. And man, was my heart rate climbing. So I had to turn it off. So I don't think I could do that. VR in a, in a place on my own playing a horror game. Because you've got like two layers there. There's like the fact you can't see and like you've lost the sense around you while you're, no, no, my brain, nope. (laughs) It was heavy. (laughs) Does anyone else have anything to add? Actually, I'll send you the study, Amiad, but but the, the tweet I sent about it, because I can't tell you the exact ins and out, but it says, authors of a new study say horror games could offer relief during times of stress by allowing you to engage and dominate materialized monsters and demons. They argue the horror game appeal is similar to religious methods to grapple with fear and guilt. Oh yeah, I remember. This was in a a, a journal that dealt with sort of less Western forms of uh, thinking about the mind uh, and more spiritual things. But a lot of people have written about how horror games have helped them with their anxiety because it's a safe place to challenge yourself like just how uh tazzy you watch horror films and it's like well that's not happening to you so you know that you're not going to get hurt and you can sort of challenge yourself to deal with scary things and the same with games you can sort of similar to exposure therapy in a way i suppose in that 
you don't uh if you're scared of something you don't just like waltz in there and try to deal with it you deal with like micro doses and gets you know bigger and bigger and and i know there was a a study out that said that people who play video games felt that they were more sort of capable of dealing with the stresses of the pandemic there was no objective evidence but they said they were and so there's this idea uh there was this one video game i forget the name of it but like there was a New York doctor who was dealing with COVID at the, you know, the COVID pandemic at the time in New York's the worst hit city in the world for COVID, right? And the sirens never stop. And he said, I can't do anything about the pandemic. I can't make it go away, but I can play this sort of zombie game or whatever it was. And I can shoot something that is the embodiment of a pandemic. And so it gives you this feeling of control and, you know, that you're, that you're doing something about it. Uh, like Ami had said, no great evidence for it, but you know people have definitely given anecdotes that horror games have helped them in certain ways. Interesting. To me, it just sounds like the opposite, but <laughs> everyone has something different that works for them. <laughs> uh, Ed, did you have anything you wanted to add, Ori? Oh, but I, and actually, I should add, Oxford VR Group are actually using VR to treat people for anxiety. So, you know, like if you've got a fear of heights, they'll take you up to a high place in VR, but start, you know, start low and go up. Mm. Great, great, great thing about that is, you know, exposure therapy is really expensive too, because you've got to have a therapist and you've got to have a whatever they're scared of and you've got to have gradings of it. And this in VR, obviously it costs a lot to develop, right? But once it's developed, it's quite cheap to administer and you can even, you know, have not necessarily a therapist there, but maybe a technician or something. And so it, you know, again, breaks down the cost of doing this. But yeah, that's an example of using VR to deliver some sort of a scary experience for someone and help them come and uh, overcome it. And Amir, I'm sure you're uh, aware of examples of it being used for PTSD as well uh, and exposure therapy. Yeah, I think, uh, Sachin, it's, it's great that you brought that up. Um, certainly that's being used uh, with virtual reality as a platform um, for therapy, PTSD, like you mentioned, anxiety. Um, I, I thought that horror game of taming the zombie, you know, the embodiment of the pandemic, that was really interesting. And I think, it, again, it just comes from, you know, what is the value, you know, um, Sachin, you mentioned it, of having a safe space to explore and, and to play and to take on different roles. So whether that is testing out a new fear um, or uh, I think, Tazzy, you mentioned good people doing bad things in games. That that's often seen as a negative, but actually it could be a positive to actually explore these roles that we would not uh, ever get to explore, and we're doing it in a safe and controlled environment. And when we when we when we walk away from the screen, you know that can that can stay there, and uh, the only thing that comes with us is the lessons that we've taken from it. Like some really great insight into um, you know VR and and how it can affect our mental health. Um, and I, we have more questions and I'd really, really love to just carry on talking, <laughs> but we can um, possibly tackle these in Discord after, uh, but for now, we're going to jump to the end of the panel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, uh, <laughs> as much was, as we are enjoying these conversations. I know. I'm like sitting and just like listening and, and, and taking in and we do have a few more questions. So I, I guess if people aren't already in our Discord uh, and want to drop those questions in, in Discord uh, or we'll find some way to tackle them. Uh, there was especially one around sort of um, sort of narrative design uh, as well, which is quite interesting. So I might get that an answer from Ed um, another time and we can 
at the end. So yeah, uh, if you're not already in our Discord, please do join and then we'll figure out a way to get through these questions. And just in general, we'll, we'll have more streams around t- different topics in gaming. So if you are if you have a particular interest, uh, let us know what you will be interested in. And as we plan things, we can take that into consideration. But before we uh, wrap, I just want to make sure that for each of our panelists, uh, we let people know where they can find out more about you. So if we start with Ed, if you just want to let us know, maybe either for yourself or even just like Splash Damage uh, in general, uh, just let us know where we can find out more about you. Splashdamage.com and I'm at Ed Stern on Twitter. There you go. And Amiad, how about yourself? So first of all, go check out Safe in Our World, um, which I'm a, on the clinical advisory board for. They have their own Discord, which is fantastic um, to you know connect with other gamers, talk about shared experiences, and to just kind of have a safe place to, to do all that and to converse. Um, if you want to find me directly, uh, the best place to do that, um, my Twitter is at digital.games, uh, and that's basically anything backslash digital.games my YouTube, my Twitch. Uh, that's where I put out all my content. I also have a Discord. So if you like this conversation, you know, drop me a note. Uh, I'd love to continue it um, offline and future content. Um, and, and thank you for, for being here. Uh, and Sachin, let the people know where they can find out about your work. Well, you'll never find me online. I have no <laughs> accounts. I'm a mystery. But uh, you can find Gaming the Mind on Twitter at Gaming the Mind. Uh, we are uh, very online we're always tweeting about this kind of stuff so you can check us out um gamingthemind.org is our website we also do blogs for the royal college of psychiatrists so go check out the royal college of psychiatrists and find some of our work on there and yeah i i've got to back up by the way amiad's uh, youtube is very good so go check him out on youtube yeah that's me cool all right we'll drop some links in the chat for people as well and yeah we are sort of come to the end so just to say yeah thank you for everyone uh watching thank you to our panel for joining us uh yeah it's really interesting i like doing panels with, uh like these because i don't need to talk for one that's great but also i can just listen to people who know what they're talking about uh, and just gain new insights so uh that's been really really good to hear and thank you for all the questions and comments in chat we had a bunch so like we said we'll see if we can find out a way uh through our discord or a future stream or something that we can get to them and uh and help people out but yeah i do encourage you to check out uh, everyone's kind of work um so you can yeah just meet more people and gain more insight that's been our panel on mental health in video games from a work and play perspective uh, as always you can give us your feedback uh, we have an email address feedback at myamada.com uh, i've mentioned a discord and social media um, as well and you can always follow us uh, here on twitch so we are doing regular live stream events uh, on a monthly basis in addition to our gamepad event which is our larger uh, event that mixes in game streaming more industry panels and interviews hopefully less technical issues but uh, (laughs) that can't seem to escape those Um, so yeah please do make sure you follow us on twitch uh, on youtube as well for more of our recorded stuff and so you don't miss out on anything that we do in future And the last thing before we wrap, on our podcast, uh, I talk way more. So if you're like, why isn't that guy talking a bit more? Uh, (laughs) You can check out our Story X Story podcast where Tazzy and I discuss stories across pop culture and have different discussions uh, with a variety of guests across different industries. So I feel that's all the uh, self-promotional stuff 
uh, I've got to. I've, I've ticked all those boxes. Uh, thank you again to everyone for taking part. Uh, it's been great having you. We will see you hopefully at another event soon. Until then, take care and stay safe, everyone. Thank you.